This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Kathy Moore from Psychotic, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 276. How is a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Rich Antonek, CFO of Veritex, about partnering with private equity firms. And, um, you know, private equity is probably, in general, a five-year hold period. It can be a little less, it can be a little more, um, but... As far as Pamplona goes, I just hope to keep the, the team that, that we're working with now and um, really not change a thing. They've been, they've been great from an ownership point of view. As we kind of go further, you know, my hope is that, you know, we keep the team there. They're a very fast-growing firm. Um, they've, I think, invested a lot of their current fund in the U.S., whereas before it may have been heavier focus to the European markets. Um, but they're focusing very heavily on the U.S. market. And quite honestly, I hope to work with the team that I have there now for as long as I can. And Listen to our complete interview with Rich after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Rich Antonek, CFO of Veritex, firm specializing in deposition and litigation support solutions. Since we uh, last touched base with Rich, Veritex has a, certainly expanded quite a bit, but at the same time, it was sold last year by private equity firm InvestCorp to Pimp Lona Capital Management. Rich, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Great to be back on the uh, podcast with you. It's great to have you. We'd love to learn more about uh, what this sale uh, means for Veritex, but also um, I was hoping to, as we kick things off here, if you wouldn't mind uh, stepping back in time once again and sharing with us how, as a finance executive, uh, your close collaboration with private equity firms uh, first led you, perhaps, to, to join Veritex as its CFO. Sure. So, um let me dial back. I think it was 2004, uh, and I was at Thompson, uh, now Thompson Reuters, and we were selling off the media businesses of Thompson. Uh, Thompson was really looking to just get into a 100% or as much as it could recurring business model and uh, recurring revenue model, and, and we didn't fully fit that sort of structure. So we went through an auction process, um, did meet with a few strategic potential buyers, but ultimately... Uh, it was a very private equity-heavy process, um, and then the process worked well, and the ultimate owner or buyer of the media businesses was um, InvestCorp, 
And uh, so that relationship really started in, in 2004 for me. So how did you communicate exactly your interest in Veritex? I mean, clearly you had worked uh, closely with a number of the people who had been involved with the firm, but can you recall the circumstances at the time for us? Yeah, it was actually, the timing couldn't have been better. Um, Veritex was acquired by InvestCorp at the end of 2010, and in 2011, it had made the decision that um, they wanted to make a change in CFOs. And at the same time, I was selling off um, a different business for InvestCorp. I started in the media businesses from Thompson and then ultimately uh, took on another role with a company by the name of Acuity as CFO. And we were selling that business at the same time. So right around you know the, the middle of, of 2011, uh, I was selling Acuity for InvestCorp, and the opportunity at Veritex came up. And the um, the team at InvestCorp is one I had worked with at that point, you know, six or seven very good years with. And um, the locations of each business was relatively close to one another. And with one exit coming up and one opportunity there, they um, kind of approached me and said, you know, we'd love you to stay in the InvestCorp family. We've got this great company called Veritex. Um, and we'd like for you to consider it and meet with the CEO, et cetera. And that's really how I landed here um, now a little over five years ago. Yeah, and, and during that time, and, and uh, Veritex, of course, grew its sales force uh, quite a bit. Uh, it completed a good number of acquisitions. It opened some additional offices and new markets. And uh, I, I recall last time you mentioned how technology was going to be an important part uh, deploying new tools and technologies, I suppose. Have I hit on each of the milestones, or what else would you share with us? No, you, you've nailed it perfectly. I mean, we really look at it from a three-prong uh, strategy of growth, and, and you know, you hit on the key ones. It's acquisitions are core to our business. Um, Veritex has done, at this point, I believe it's over 60 in our 19 years of history, and we've done 20 in the last five years. Um, <clears throat> so that's core to our business. The other areas are, you know, and again, you hit on it, but sales rep expansion. We've more than or almost doubled in our in our resources since I joined here five years ago. And the third kind of channel that we pursue pretty um, aggressively is opening up in new markets. So while we're the largest at what we do by a very good margin, um, and we've got offices, and now we're over 50 different cities, um, there's still tons of geography for us to move into. Uh, so we really deploy all three of those every single day with what we do. Now, I'm always curious about uh, PE relationships and the communication channels uh, that they demand. There are certain developments you would need to share very quickly uh, with a PE partner, but other developments perhaps not. Um, when it comes to communicating with PE partners, what would you tell us? I mean, InvestCorp, to their credit, was very supportive. Um, when I joined here, as I mentioned, we've been very acquisitive in our tenure, um, but many of the acquisitions were not fully integrated. So we, you know, I used the phrase when I joined here that, and we didn't do an acquisition for the first two years I was here, and that was because, you know, the analogy was, we had to fix our foundation. You know, if you've got a house and you've got a leaky basement, 
<clears throat> or plumbing that that's not working, you're not going to add a family room onto the back of the house. So we really put a lot of development and capital to work around the foundation those first couple of years that I was here. And since then, you know, that's been complete now for a good three or four years. We've really shifted back to our M&A, um, you know, sort of mantra, but also we've developed new products that really support and make our services even better. So we interact with, you know, over 220,000 lawyers every year. Um, we're doing 700 plus different depositions every day. <clears throat> so we're in front of our clients all the time. And while we have great ideas that'll help them or what we think will help them, in many cases, we'll get good feedback from them on technology that'll help them as well. And, and honestly, we use that as our sort of um, incubator for new ideas. Now, Pamplona Capital Management comes into the picture. What is the promise? What is the opportunity uh, that they see here? Uh, so from a PE point of view, I think any time that you can you know, demonstrate a business has a workflow or a solution that really um, automates as much as possible, enables you know, metric-driven reporting as much as possible, um, they're going to, I think they're going to all be very um, interested in that. And InvestCorp certainly supported that completely. Um, and, you know, you mentioned we moved over to Pamplona Capital a little over a year ago now, um, and they've continued that. Now, do these two uh, PE firms prefer a certain weight class of company uh, in the sense that uh, Veritex was certainly a larger company uh, when Pamplona uh, made its investment versus when InvestCorp originally invested? Yeah, in some ways, yes. I, I, Pamplona is a little bit larger, I think, in fund size to InvestCorp. Um, but even before InvestCorp, uh, the company was owned by a PE firm by the name of Riverside. And, you know, firms will certainly move up in fund sizes over time. But I believe, you know, prior to InvestCorp, Riverside was a was a smaller structured PE shop. Um, so, yeah, in many cases, I think private equity goes from, you know, the fund that acquires it from another fund is typically a larger one. Um, and that, I think, is the case with Pamplona. But, you know, from a characteristic point of view, I, I know there's differences from shop to shop. But, you know, I believe right now and what we heard kind of a year ago when we were completing our sale is that businesses that were really attractive to private equity groups at the time, you'll always hear recurring based revenues and, and things like that that are going to be, you know, attractive. But, you know, businesses that are recession proof, which we clearly are, I mean, litigation in general does not move with recession or robust economies. I mean, you may see different types of litigation going up and down in different economic environments. You know, bad times, you're going to see more bankruptcy. In robust times, you may see more intellectual property type filings. But in the end, total filings are a relatively stable to slow growth, um, you know, type metric. But the other thing, and I think this holds for every private equity firm, is they're going to want to get to know the management team very intimately because the last thing I think any of them want to do is have to take over the day-to-day -day management. They want to back teams that have won before <clears throat> that they believe in and that they trust that are going to continue to you know, drive growth in the businesses that they buy. So we heard those two quite a bit throughout our process. 
So can we sort of uh, illuminate the typical path here for a PE partner uh, from the initial engagement or discussion around the possibilities uh, to the actual transaction? What would be some of the important steps in between? Yeah, sure. And I think, um, you know, every CFO, and I certainly am in this category, when you hear about, you know, work from a Bain or a Boston consulting group or one of the big McKinsey-type consulting firms, you know, they come with a very big ticket attached to them. But I have to tell you, they're worth every penny, in my opinion, because they're looking at whatever market, whatever industry, whatever product with, you know, completely, um, you know, open eyes, open opinions, and, and they're very, very smart people, as we know in general. So I think I know Pamplona and I know before that InvestCorp each engaged, you know, a big consulting firm to do a, a deep dive, full market study. And, you know, I can put together a presentation that's going to say all these things, recession proof, et cetera, but it has to be validated through these third parties. And I think they get a lot of weight with the potential buyers as well. And I've seen, you know, the report that um, other owners of Veritex have done and, and they've kind of supported that. So I think from a recessionary or other market-driven um, characteristics, those studies are, are critical. And, you know, the second thing, you know, how do you get to really vet a management team? You know, Pamplona and others, we spent a lot of time with them. I mean, I was with, when you get down to the final two or three groups or potential buyers, you know, you're meeting with them at least once a week for potentially a full day. There may be a dinner involved and it helps both parties, right? Because in the end, um, they're going to want to get to know you and, and the team that you're a part of. But also, you know, you want to get to know them. I mean, if when the deal closes, you're going to be potentially working, you know, they become your, your boss, if you want to call it that, for the next four or five years. And if their style is one that you don't like or if you may feel they're a little bit, you know, over-the-shoulder type management style, you may not feel as comfortable with that. And um, we were fortunate to go to our kind of finish line with a couple of very good parties. Um, but Pamplona was one that we liked from day one to the end because they invested a lot of time not only getting to know us but allowing us to get to know them. Wanted to f discover a little more about the technologies. Last time we uh, talked, you were uh, you mentioned more than once how uh, important new systems were to the success uh, would be to the success going forward. What uh, what would you tell us? What what exactly were the the technology piece of this? What was it? So the biggest one for us right now is really a product that we launched this year. Uh, it's called Law Studio. And it's really like a full suite case management uh, solution for lawyers. So in any type of large litigation, you know, think of a class action matter, you're going to have number, a number of parties around the table, um, and they're all going to potentially be represented by different counsel. Or even just large litigation where there's multi-parties, chances are each party has their own uh, law firm that they're working with or that handles all their work. <clears throat> and you know, case management really does get optimized when you can share files instead of just emailing. The last thing lawyers want to do is email, you know, highly confidential um, content through just a web browser. So, um, or through email, I should say. And when you can set up a secure environment as we have now done 
with Law Studio, which enables collaboration, annotation, sharing of notes. Um, you can see if we were on the same case, but we had two different, you were at one law firm and I was in another, I could go into a file, annotate all of my notes, and you can go right in after me and see exactly where I'm at. So it really enables a stronger case management from a team point of view. It also takes off the table any and all risk around um, uh, like content breach or, or hacking or something like that. Our Law Studio product is in you know what we what's known as a tier four hardened data center where encryption is everywhere, um, and you know it just keeps content that much safer and secure. Because if you're a large law firm, you know the last thing that you ever want to have is your name in any publication or news channel about a data breach. So we've enabled that. So that product just hit the market. Um, and I'm only talking about a few of the solutions within it, but those are the big ones. That just hit the market uh, in Q4, really, of last year, and we're looking to really put a lot of resources behind that in 2017. You know, our other <clears throat> technology, Jack, really um, is around supporting individual client needs with um, anything that helps enable them to have a stronger ultimate, you know, product or ultimately maybe a trial material that they're going to bring into the courtroom with them. So the support of, um, you know, we've got exhibit management solutions where, you know, if, if there's maps, photographs, uh, architectural prints or anything like that, it's all organized in a systematic uh, format because in litigation, um, a blueprint or whatever it might be might get used in eight different instances. And if it's tagged eight different times, it could be hard for somebody to find when they're in trial and they need to pull it out. So our solution kind of organizes it all, lets you know how often it's been used, where it's been used, and it just enables you know sort of an easier um, presentation type uh, solution if the, if you are in trial. Okay, I want to I want to uh, segue back to your M and A activity. It seems like you've had a quite an appetite for it over the recent years. Uh, is this a, a period of um, at rest, or should we expect you to continue the trajectory? We're going to definitely continue. We've um, we've already actually closed one. Uh, in 2017, we could, we had it, you know, teed up right through the end of the year, and it closed on January 3rd. We closed another one December, I think it was 22nd, and our pipeline is honestly, it's never been as robust. So um, we are going to continue acquiring and partnering with good firms everywhere that we can. Yeah, that I think it'll continue and also expand as well. Now Am I recalling correctly? I, I remember this was uh, this was quite a fragmented market. You had a lot of regional players, and of course, I believe that's largely what you're acquiring, creating a larger national organization. That's exactly right. So we're um, strategically looking at new geographies, along with um, respected brands within regions that we already have a presence. And uh, and you hit the nail right on the head, Jack. You know, it's a very fragmented market. Um, where any city that we're in, we don't, we estimate we don't have more than 25% share. So even though we may be, you know, the largest player in that particular city, there's still a lot of room to acquire and grow organically. When it comes to PE-owned companies, I wanted to ask uh, about how the board is established and what's the uh, sort of the typical composition of a board as far as who the members are and what from from what organizations 
Yeah, and I can tell you from I've now been with three different private equity held companies, and Veritex is one of those three, but Veritex has now been held by two different private equity um, groups, so really four different boards if you want to think about it. And the construction of the boards has been pretty consistent throughout. There's usually been, you know, two, maybe three uh, folks from the private equity team, um, one or two members from the management team. Uh, in the case of the board that I'm with now on Pamplona, uh, Nancy Josephs, our CEO, and, and I both sit on that board with two Pamplona uh, senior executives from the team there. But in, in, in all those setting, settings, we've also had two very strong um, individual board members who were outside, um, you know, not part of the PE firm per se. And the two that we have now, one is the retired um, uh, he did all of the litigation type accounting for Price Waterhouse, and he's been incredibly helpful as we've thought about, you know, pursuing larger litigation cases and matters, and just has the background of, of really working with all senior litigators around the country. And the other that we have today is a retired head of litigation within Cravath, which is, you know, a litigation, you know, superstar firm. So having those industry experts um, at Veritex and even in my other settings has really enabled us to, you know, get good feedback around market type developments or within law firms or within cases. Um, and we've benefited greatly by having those folks on our board. Uh, for those CFOs who may, for the first time, <laughs> uh, be having their boardroom, sharing their boardroom with members of the private equity firm after a deal, is there anything that uh, you offer them some advice or how, if there's a, in terms of how to collaborate better or how to run a, an effective meeting or whatever it might be? Sure. And, and, you know, CFOs, I think, just by the nature of PE, private equity being very financially focused, in many ways interact with the private equity groups the most above the CEO in almost every case I could think of. But, you know, I always say, and I've been asked this before, you know, what's the key thing in dealing with private equity? And, and it, for me, it's very simple. No, no surprises. You know, it, it, if things are going great, <clears throat> feel free to sprinkle in, hey, I think we're going to have a good month or a good quarter, whatever it might be. On the flip side of that, Jack, if things aren't going well, the last thing you want to do is call them up a week after the quarter closed and say, guess what, we we didn't make the number we were talking about. Um, I think, you know, you've got to take the element of surprise off the table, whether it's good or bad news. Um, and if it's good or bad, work through how you communicate it or how you maximize it. And um, I've followed that in my, all of my years in private equity, and I'd recommend that before anything else. Um, the new re the relationship with Pamplona going forward. How would you uh, like to see this relationship uh, evolve over time? Uh, so first, you know, it's been a little over a year of, of ownership under Pamplona, and it, it could not have gone better. We've got a very supportive and um, strategic and, and very intelligent group of folks that we work with, um, and we couldn't have, we couldn't be happier about that. As we um, as we kind of go further, you know, my hope is that, you know, we keep the team there. They're a very fast-growing firm. Um, they've, I think, invested a lot of their current fund in the U.S., whereas before it may have been heavier focus to the European markets. 
um, but they're focusing very heavily on the U.S. market. And quite honestly, I hope to work with the team that I have there now for as long as I can. And, um, you know, private equity is probably, in general, a five-year hold period. It can be a little less. It can be a little more. Um, but as far as Pamplona goes, I just hope to keep the, the team that, that we're working with now and um, really not change a thing. They've been They've been great from an ownership point of view. So we've been discussing what is a somewhat uh, specialized area of business, a, a certain weight class of business where uh, the PE firms are very active and play a really important role. Uh, but, but clearly, finance leaders in this space are rather specialized as well in terms of uh, managing uh, PE relationships and how to work alongside uh, PE firms. I always felt uh, there's an extra level of complexity here um, compared, say, to, to large enterprise firms. But is this your space, or are we just as likely to find you in a large enterprise someday? Sure. So, so Jack, it's a good question. You know, I think um, my background has definitely, for the last, you know, 13, 14 years, been very focused on the size company I'm at today. And I really enjoy working at Veritext. So I have not even remotely even thought about what might be next or in the future. But, you know, I do think that this size company fits my background well. And, um, you know, I'm looking to stay here, quite frankly, for a very long time. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. All right, so this is, uh, uh, the, the relationship with Pamplona is uh, a year old, and uh, we'd love to look forward uh, 12 months with you. What would be your priorities over the next uh, 12 months in the second year of that relationship? Sure, yeah, we... Um well, first of all, we'd want to continue developing and, and kind of deploying the three-prong strategy I mentioned before, which is to continue to be acquisitive, continue to add new sales talent uh, and expand organically or through our core, and also expand from a geographic point of view. You know, the only other um, area that we are giving serious consideration to is we are the dominant player. We are the best at what we do in the in the deposition space. But there are other channels and strategic, you know, adjacent markets around litigation that we could support our clients with. And, you know, there's lots of different areas that we can go into, whether it be e-discovery or um, record retention or other areas. So I do think, you know, we're going to be examining what those other adjacent opportunities can bring while we continue to deploy, you know, that three-pronged strategy that I mentioned. Rich Antonek, thank you for updating us on CFO okay. Thought Leader. Thanks, Jack. Always great to talk to you. Have a great day. 
Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.